Are you looking to expand your brand this year? Want to make your business stand out above the rest? Well, there's no better way to grow than with your own podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a small business, or a massive company, you need a podcast in 2024. Podcast Plus is an easy and efficient way for you and your brand to join the podcast revolution. There's no better way to position your company as the go-to authority than with a podcast that showcases your industry knowledge, insights, and expertise. The studios at Podcast Plus are state-of-the-art with top-of-the-line production quality. And if you're just starting out, Podcast Plus offers professional script writing, editing magic, and can conceptualize your show, create your cover art, and get you ready to stream on all major platforms. We'll market your podcast as well, showcasing it on radio stations and digital streams across the country. Expand, enhance, and extend your company and brand and reach potential clients and customers 24-7. Find out more at podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. That's podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. This show will begin shortly after these messages from our advertisers. Advertising is what keeps the show alive. Your support means they'll continue to advertise and the podcast will continue to be free. This statement has not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you in bad pain? You know what I mean. Your knees hurt, your shoulder hurts, and your back. Oh my God, your back. They're constantly killing you. And I'm sure you've tried every pain pill or cream available at the drugstore. Am I right? Well, here is something you haven't tried. Pain Absolve. Pain Absolve is not available in any drugstore. The only way to get it is by calling today. We're so confident that it will work for you that we offer a free bottle with your purchase. No prescription needed. And best of all, each purchase comes with a money-back guarantee. Call now to find out how you can get Pain Absolve and get rid of your pain. Call 800-261-0783. That's 800-261-0783. 800-261-0783. Call today. 800-261-0783. Are you lacking a little something between paranormal and abnormal? You need the Into the Parabnormal store. Now open at parabnormalradio.com. From hoodies to shirts, accessories, and our digital music library, it's all available in the Into the Parabnormal store. Your purchase directly helps support the show. Thanks for buying from the Into the Parabnormal store at parabnormalradio.com. I'm Jeremy Scott from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. I welcome you to the program tonight. You know, I will have to admit there are many favorite subjects for a lot of you. The subjects in which we have had to bear down and discuss over the past couple of months have not been sexy, has not been what I've wanted to discuss. 
I have not wanted to discuss those subjects, but we have had to. The reason we have had to is because they've been pressing matters, and we discuss pressing matters on this program. But when it comes to the subjects that we usually discuss, my favorites are the UFOs and the aliens. Always have, always will be. Tonight, we are going to discuss a story of contact. And I would say this, be careful what you ask for, what you wish for. Because to have this contact may not always go the way in which you intend. You, you can wish, you can hope that it's going to go a certain way, but really, you're not sure. There are people who have positive experiences. There are people who have negative experiences. And there are people who welcome these uh, events to reoccur. There are people who wish they would never happen again. And for some, it doesn't happen again. And for others, it's a repeated scenario throughout their lives over and over, these abduction experiences. And so I don't know what it is necessarily about the UFO subject that that fascinates me, but there are a lot of credible people over time who have come to the forefront and have risked everything to say, I saw a UFO. I saw lights in the sky. I saw the little green men. I was taken upon a spaceship. I was inspected. I was probed. I was whatever. Now, a lot of cases of aliens taking others' lives, it has happened. I think there are a few. But for the most part, these uh, experiences are perceptual experiences. And what I mean by that is that they are viewed differently by each person. To others, they may view the same experience a different way. And for uh, people who have experienced encounters, UFO encounters, either together with one other person or, or with groups of people, Within that circle, there has been some dissension over the years from people who have remembered those experiences differently than others. And that's just how it is, um, because people perceive things differently. Uh, People's memories are also influenced differently. For instance, we we know that, that people, when they have these experiences, that they're not the same before and after a lot of times uh, people come back with certain visions uh, glimpses of information uh, downloads to where there's no way they knew that information ever before it's very complex or or whatnot and so tonight on the program we're going to be talking with Nomar Slebik who is a paranormal researcher and investigator who I have had on this program a couple of times, and I'm always fascinated by his work. I've got a couple of books on the shelf here behind me, Otherworldly UFO Encounters, one of his books. And and he's back tonight. Uh, He's bringing an experiencer with him by the name of Mike Stevens, uh, who's an experiencer, and who is also helping others with support. And that is very, very honorable in my opinion, because a lot of people go through these experiences... They speak out about them, and, and that's just where it ends. Mike's been there. He's done that, and and he can lend a helping hand. He does lend a helping hand through his organization, Granite Sky. And so the program tonight is called Taken for Granite, and it has a very special meaning because the name of the book that, that uh, Nomar wrote about Mike's experience is called uh, 
Granite Skies, a disconcerted journey through the unknown. And uh, it'll be fascinating to talk with them for the entire program tonight. But, you know, 2020, they say, is shaping up to be a banner year for UFO sightings. I mean, here we are in the age of the pandemic and the stay-home order. And so more folks are doing that, staying home. And they are seeing these UFOs, and they're reporting that they're seeing these UFOs. National UFO Reporting Center, Peter Davenport, you know, up in in Washington and in his organization, uh, of course, have put together some of this great data. They always do. Uh, They always come through with us, uh, this great data, these uh, wonderful reports. 51% increase in UFO sighting reports over last year at this time. Uh, Almost 5,000 incidents have been recorded so far this year through the first, I, I, I believe, through August. 5,000 incidents, which is a significant increase. They say that 20% of those incidents uh, happened in April, right when folks were uh, at home in quarantine. In fact, in a uh, quote to Fox News in an article, Peter Davenport said, in a time of crisis, we look elsewhere for salvation, even if it means looking to the stars. What an interesting quote there from Peter Uh, As UFO sightings are on the increase, I I, I would expect them to be on the increase. I'm not surprised that they're on the increase here, Uh, particularly in the summers when UFO sightings happen to increase just across the board generally because the weather's nicer, people are at home, and uh, they're outside more, and they're looking up. Nasty weather, people are inside inside more, they're outside less, they're not looking up as much. That's how it works, but... In a pandemic, when we're seeing figures, say, in April, where we're seeing 20% of those sightings, 5,000 sightings so far in in 2020. And the numbers are just going to continue to grow. So, tonight we are going to entertain the UFO subject. I'm Jeremy Scott. There's a very interesting development as it it relates to uh, what Japan is doing, uh, what the U.S. is doing on a governmental level. Stay tuned for Paranormal News with Brad Bernard. Only on Into the Paranormal. Listen up, guys. Are you experiencing any of the following? Fatigue? Less drive? Poor performance? If so, you may be one of the nearly 30 million men in the U.S. today dealing with ED. But did you know you don't have to pay hundreds for a prescription anymore? And you don't have to deal with the hassle of seeing the doctor or the embarrassment of going to the pharmacy for a certain pill. Now, with one free call, you can find out how Herbal Virility Max can help you feel like a man again. For over a decade, Herbal Virility Max has helped guys just like you put a smile back on their face with improved performance and drive. Call today at 800-509-4017. That's 800-509-4017. Save the money, save the hassles, and get the better blue pill. Call 800-509-4017. That's 800-509-4017. Like the show but want to listen without commercials? Now for $4 a month, a commercial-free version of this program is available at ParabnormalRadio.com. 
You've asked for it, and we listened. It's available now, the commercial-free version of Into the Parabnormal. Go to parabnormalradio.com and click the banner for more information. $4 a month. A steal of a deal, if you ask me. Help support us and our war against censorship. That's parabnormalradio.com. Japan are going to soon unveil an action plan against unidentified flying objects. UFOs aren't just real. They also frequently come close to crashing into commercial airliners. Whatever these things turn out to be. Whatever these things turn out to be. There is a serious defense, national security, and air safety issue here. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. I think it's real because I saw it. I mean, what if there's more of these? What if we do nothing? A large number of spherical objects appeared from the western horizon. There's something just passed over. Air traffic control failed to detect any flying objects on radar. A UFO. A triangular-shaped object. Making America weird again. One show at a time. You're traveling into the paranormal. Jeremy Scott. So excited to get our mind off the uh, the doom and the gloom and to talk about a subject tonight that has always fascinated me, about the UFO subject. And uh, tonight we'll be joined by uh, Mike Stevens and by Nomar Slevic to talk about a tale of extraterrestrial visitation. As I mentioned, there is a thing going on here between Japan and the United States, and what's going on is and in i guess an informal partnership is is what it would be here uh that there's interest in japan basically learning from i guess the united states in how we deal with the ufo subject on a military on a governmental level here because when we started having our encounters here when it started really being taken seriously by the navy by our government and they started to admit and say, yeah, you know, we know that, um, that this stuff is happening and that it is real and that we need to really start being serious about it. When they started doing that, other countries, uh, you know, started to pay attention to that as well. And Japan was one of those countries that started to say, hey, you know, there might be something to this UFO thing, you know. That we've always thought was just a fringe subject, which still is a fringe subject. We haven't gotten past that. But was always something that, you know, people said, well, it's just something that those people who wear the tinfoil hats believe in. And nobody in their right mind, in their sane mind, would ever believe something like that. And then yet over time, time and time again, actually, we have heard uh, reports uh, of encounters... And so many of them, and so many fascinating encounters, so many detailed encounters, and the ones that always get me are the ones that you can just tell when the person is telling it that they are trembling as they're speaking. Who would want to put themselves through that? If not, it was 100% accurate, and they were doing it because of the greater good. They wanted it known they were an experiencer like many others, and they wanted the message that these beings shared with them to be shared. Because a lot of it, they, when we hear about uh, r- reports of, of encounters about visitations, there is a message. 
that is communicated that these extraterrestrials, that these beings want known to the human race. And they do so uh, through these ambassadors. Uh, this is basically you know, handing it down. Please go distribute our message. You have been the chosen one. You have been picked for this contact. And now you've had this contact. Please go back and share our message with your kind. And so a protocol being developed now here by Defense Minister Taro Kono, who has uh, ordered the Special Defenses Forces in Japan to follow this order for dealing with unidentified aerial objects that could pose a threat to Japan's security. He uh, has asked them to record and to picture any such photographs that they encounter or that the Japanese aerospace, or that enter, rather, Japanese aerospace, and to take steps for the necessary analysis of the sightings, including information provided separately by the public. This is a story from the Japan Times. It says, while the defense ministry says there have been no known cases of encountering UFOs, the latest move comes after the U.S. Defense Department established a special unidentified aerial phenomena task force in order to improve its understanding of and gain insight into the nature and origins of the objects and other phenomena. And, of course, this follows the release of the videos that have been well documented, the formation of the To the Stars Academy, uh, the revelations from Luis Elizondo and other officials in the know. Now, this is quite a change for the Japanese uh, people because in February of 2018, an official statement uh, on the subject of UFOs, an official position actually, by the Japanese government on UFOs said that no confirmation has been made of their existence. And so it's starting to sound a little bit like Project Blue Book. Where a lot of investigation, a lot of classifications, but no real uh, juicy meat. And because of that, you just close up shop. And the American public and whatnot are led to believe that it just doesn't exist because we investigated and we didn't find anything. Not saying it was a true, honest investigation either. And so here we have, you know, less than three years later... But it was even less than that. It was about two years uh, after that statement that they really started, maybe under two years, that they started to get their interest peaked at what was happening here in the U.S., start to pay attention. And now we have them following in our footsteps, and and they have started uh, basically their own investigation, kind of like we have this task force here in the U.S. Japan has a task force uh, going after UFOs and I know there have been investigations of UFOs over the decades. I'm aware of that. However, I feel something a little special, not just because I'm living in this day and age, but I feel something a a little special about this time in this place, where we're at. And wouldn't wouldn't it be something if everything that's been happening in the world came down to the extraterrestrials who said, look, we had to do something. To get you to pay attention to us. I mean, we've been trying for dozens and hundreds of years. We've been abducting people. We've been taking them from drive-in movie theaters. We've been taking them from schoolyards. We've been abducting them in masses. We've been abducting them in smaller places. We've been taking people for five days. We've been giving you tons of Hollywood movie material to, to write stories about and to make films about. We have tried time and time and time again to show our 
faces to you to make our presence known, and you're just not paying attention. So we're going to create a virus. We're going to put aliens in police uniforms, and we're going to infiltrate government. And it's a wild, weird conspiracy theory, but you know it's 2020, and darn it, it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me in the least. You know, I, I, I might be joking just a little bit here, but when it comes to the UFO subject, you know, I'm serious about the subject. There's, um, make no bones about it. I'm serious about the subject of UFOs. Uh, always have been. It was, you know, really what got me interested most in doing this program. And on the, the shelf behind me here in the studio, 90% of the books are about UFOs. And um, most of the books that I have been interested in recently in purchasing have been about UFOs. I do read a lot of other subjects, but there's just something about a UFO story and about a witness account and about an investigation into the subject of UFOs that will always fascinate me. And tonight, I'm so thrilled that we're going to be having on the program uh, Nomar Slavik, who is a researcher of UFO events an experiencer himself. Uh, Mike Stevens is an experiencer and offers support to victims who have gone through experiences such as his. And uh, it's just a fascinating story that we're going to be sharing with you. Our program is called Taken for Granted. When we come back after the news with Brad Bernards, they'll be my guest. I'm Jeremy Scott from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. We'll be right back. to chat with like-minded thinkers join into the pair of normal facebook group it'll blow your mind Tea is the number one cleansing tea in America. We cleanse you with organic ingredients, and when used daily, you can increase your energy. Cleanse from intruders that set up camp in your colon. Cleanse your colon and feel the difference. Colon cleanses can be uncomfortable. Not Life Change Tea at GetTheTea.com. Life Change Tea is mild yet truly effective. Cleanse your insides every day. Easy to make, easy to use, and feel the results. Are you sold? Okay, then, here's how to order. Log on to GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. Look for our specials on the front page. Get the Tea also carries top-rated supplements for those who care about their health naturally. Again, log on to GetTheTea.com and feel the results. And for those of you that arm yourself with information, come to our webinar every other Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific. You can sign up at GetTheTea.com. Abnormal News, I'm Brad Bernards. The International Space Station just dodged a fast-moving hunk of orbiting junk, according to Space.com. 
Controllers maneuvered the station away from a potential collision with a piece of debris Tuesday afternoon, September 22nd. They did so by firing the thrusters on a Russian Progress cargo spacecraft that's docked to the orbiting lab's service module, NASA officials said in an update. The three astronauts currently living aboard the station, NASA's Chris Cassidy and two Russian cosmonauts, sheltered in the station's Russian segment during the maneuver to be closer to their Soyuz spacecraft, the NASA update stated. This was done out of an abundance of caution, they said. At no time was the crew in any danger. Space junk is a growing problem in Earth orbit. Nearly 129 million pieces of debris are whizzing around our planet at the moment, according to estimates by the European Space Agency. Astronomers have painstakingly built models of the asteroid population, and these models predict that there will be one-kilometer-sized asteroids that orbit closer to the Sun than Venus does. The problem is nobody's been able to find one until now. UniverseToday.com reports astronomers working with the Zwicky Transient Facility say they finally found one. But this one's bigger, at about two kilometers. If its existence can be confirmed, then asteroid population models may have to be updated. A new paper presenting this result is up on archive.org. The newly discovered asteroid is named 2020 AV2. Its discovery is surprising since models predict no asteroids this large inside Venus's orbit. It could be evidence of a new population of asteroids, or it could be just the largest of its population. There's more news at paraabnormalradio.com. I'm Brad Bernards, Paraabnormal News. the envelope and never looking back you're traveling into the pair of normal it was an early summer's evening 1983 when a four-year-old child was lured away from his home by the sighting of something strange in the sky was a frightened curiosity that overtook the child while he stared at a silver craft that was hovering over a telephone pole. Moments later, he was inside of it. And what followed was a lifetime of truly bizarre encounters that traumatized a man to the brink of death. The story is told in the book, Granite Skies. It's the true story of Mike Stevens and how he navigated through the extraterrestrial terrors that forever scarred his mental health. He's a survivor of trauma that transcends the typical writings of the alien abduction narrative and reveals a life after victimization. Nomar Slavic pieces together the turbulent biography of Mike's fear, torment, acceptance, and eventual hope in a demoralized existence in his latest book, Granite Skies, a disconcerted journey through the the unknown. He's an independent creator, researcher, and investigator in numerous aspects of the paranormal. Nomar has been fascinated by all things paranormal since childhood, beginning with a UFO encounter also at the age of four years old. His life's passion is to research, investigate, write, and share UFO and extraterrestrial encounters from everyday people in a way that conveys the human element 
of the profoundly strange encounters. Mike Stevens is a seasoned paranormal researcher and investigator working to change the stigma surrounding the abduction phenomena by promoting public awareness of the subject and by encouraging and supporting other experiencers. He was the initiating force behind the New Hampshire historical marker for Betty and Barney Hill's UFO encounter and is a trusted source for New Hampshire's UFO history. He's the founder of Granite Sky Services, whose mission is to provide rock-solid support to any and all experiencers of extraterrestrial encounters, contact, and abduction. Nomar Slavik and Mike Stevens, it's so good to have you here on Into the Parabnormal. Jeremy, thank you so much for having us on. Very much appreciate it. Oh, it's my honor. Mike, how are you tonight? Good. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Uh, Nomar, it's so good to have you back here. You just bring such amazing stories each and every time you're on the program. Oh, thanks, man. I, I appreciate it, and I'm, I, I'm glad uh, people are interested in these stories. It's, it, in my opinion, these are stories that, that need to be told, that need to get out to as many people as possible, and you're a part of that for us, so, you know, it's very much appreciated. It, it really is my honor. So, both of you had UFO encounters at the same age, and Nomar, from your investigations, yeah. uh, childhood encounters are a pretty common thing among experiencers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And sometimes uh, experiencers don't really remember that in the moment of having one when they're an adult. It's not until, uh, sometimes anyways, it's not until they talk to somebody like me uh, where some of that memory will come back to them. And uh, my hope is that some of that comes about through the types of questions that I'm asking. Also, and more importantly, I hope it's it's because I'm making a connection with that person uh, because it's really about treating a witness with kindness and respect. And it, it's not about my belief in their story. It's that something happened to them and they're looking for somebody to talk to that's not going to judge them, that's not going to make them feel bad for what's happened to them. And uh, so I feel like my role is to be uh, an open-minded listener, you know, at the very least. Mike, how did that realization happen for you? Um, I mean, for me, it was really, it's probably my earliest standing memory. I've never had a chance to not have it be a part of me or who I was. And so from your earliest memories, you knew that there was something weird about what had happened to you in your childhood. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know what it was and have the terminology or anything like that. But yeah, I knew something. Well, I, I, I guess I didn't really know it was off until you get to about school age and nobody else is talking about this sort of thing. And when you try, you're getting hushed up. So, but, you know, I'd always remembered it. I was always, It's always been part of who I or what, you know, my life's been, but yeah, it's probably around, you know, school age where you start going, oh, this isn't normal. This isn't part of everybody's, you know, childhood existence. Yeah. I mean, child, uh, children go through a lot as, as it is, and we're just really cruel, you know, to kids when we go through child. I mean, I, I went through it myself. Um, I think we all kind of did it, uh, whether we were the instigators or whether the, we were the recipients of it. So you kind of felt special in that sense because you had had these experiences and, and, and like you said, nobody else around you did. And maybe your your outlook on life was a little bit different than everyone else's. Um, yeah, I mean, I was already developing um, 
you know, severe social anxieties by that age. Um, you know, I was afraid of streetlights. I was afraid to talk to people. I wouldn't talk to, like, even my grandmother for almost two years after I learned how to talk because, um, you know, anybody outside of our immediate family or household, I was just terrified to talk to anybody about anything, not just this subject. Um, I used to stutter really bad when I was a kid. Um, there was just, there was a lot of fear around talking or drawing any more attention to myself than I needed to. When did you really start to understand it uh, more uh, or, or fully? I, mean, I don't know if you fully maybe understand it because it seems like there's always something new to understand about these experiences. But when was it that you started to understand this further? Uh, it was about I was about 25 when I really started to not so much take it seriously, but decide that I, I couldn't run away from it. I couldn't lie to myself. I couldn't just pretend I was crazy. Like uh, around 25 is when I really admitted it to myself and started to kind of get more involved in the research uh, in general of the subject, but of my own stuff as well. So you had an interest uh, in in this in this subject. Did you research, um, you know, other cases? Because I mean, New Hampshire. Uh, I mentioned it a couple moments ago. I mean, right there in New Hampshire, you have a famous UFO case. Yeah, I mean, we this whole New England area is um, full of some of the bigger cases. You got the Allagash guys right up in Nomar's territory in Maine. Um, the Adreasen. Uh, and Tom Reed's down in Massachusetts, Betty and Barney Hill, and the incident in Exeter here in New Hampshire. I mean, just to name a couple. And the, these are some of the biggest cases in the world. So, uh, yeah, this area seems to be a hotbed. And it's always been around, but, you know, it's not really discussed in earnest. You know, a lot of New Englanders in particular on this subject don't, you know, really talk about this stuff unless you bring it up. Did, were, so were you silenced or did you felt feel intimidated or, or that you couldn't talk about this or did you just choose not uh, to or I don't think I wanted to and I think there was some more internal pressure and I don't know whether it was something relayed to me through them or just my own fears and anxieties that you didn't talk about this stuff do you get that often in your investigations no more is, is people just don't talk about it for whatever reason yeah, absolutely. Um, people of New England, not not that I could speak for everyone, but it's been my experience that uh, we're we are really reserved people. Uh, we, we keep to ourselves. We we like our privacy. I mean, I'm sure you could say that about a bunch of other areas. But being from here, uh, I definitely know that to be true. And when someone reaches out to me, it's it. I consider it, and it is considered by the other party as privileged information. And uh, to, to, I've had many witnesses come forward to me, and I guess when it starts to get a little bit more intense with some of my questioning, because I'm really trying to pull out some details, uh, I've had witnesses uh, just ghost me and uh, stop communicating altogether, and uh, that that's too bad. And and I don't think it's because of anything I was doing that was you know cruel or unkind or anything. It was just okay. This is too much. <laughs> and uh, uh, oh yeah, it might be I, reopening I old wounds. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, so eventually, Mike, you, you reached the uh, point of coming forward and, and telling your story, even if it, if it meant reopening old wounds. So what was that process like? You know, it, 
it's a kind of a double-edged sword. Uh, there's some good in it. There's some healing. There, there's a huge sense of relief. Uh, you know, for me, that was my personal experience, and I hear it from a lot of other people. Um, you know, just being able to talk about it and get a, you know this weight off your chest that you've been carrying around for you know what seems like forever. That that's such a relief. But the you know the the downside is. To it. Like you said, you know, you do start reopening wounds and, you know, kind of the more you get into this stuff, the, it, especially, you know, within your own case and experiences, you know, the more digging you do or research, something triggers another thought. And hold that thought. Well, well, I mean, I'm sorry we have to do this. Uh, we'll go to break. We'll come back with Nomar and Slebeck and Mike Stevens. Our program tonight taken for granted. Attention authors, stop sending ebook readers away empty handed. With the Jump Card ID, sell your books directly without the need for an online retailer. The Jump Card Instant Download, exclusively from Jumpmaster Press, could be your ticket to more sales, more readers, and international distribution. Find out more about the Jump Card ID today at www.jumpmasterpress.com. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in Paranormal Talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. Into the paranormal toll free in North America at 855 790 8255. That's 855 790 TALK. I'm Jeremy Scott with Nomar Slebek and with Mike Stevens, and the author uh, the book is A Granite Skies A Disconcerted Journey Through the Unknown. And uh, Mike was talking us uh, to us about reopening some of those old wounds and about coming forward and starting to uh, share his experience. And so uh, kudos to you, uh, Mike, for coming forward. Uh, did you have a little bit of a, a encouragement in this process? Um, no, it was kind of a self-realization. Um, you know, I went through this by myself my whole life with nobody to talk to and no help. And then once I started, you know, starting to kind of get a grasp on it a little bit and you realize other people are going through this at well, it almost seems greedy to not to let them suffer alone, to not do anything. So that was kind of more the drive. Uh, it was, you know, not an expert or on any of this, but you, you just couldn't watch somebody suffering knowing what that suffering was like. So it, it was almost, you know, pushed from an unseen hand that I was going to start doing this. But but you went through a lot of suffering your your own, and so 
maybe now is probably the right part to set the stage for your story. Did you go through some sort of regression to bring back some of these memories? Um, I went through one regression to um, try to give more detail to a an event that I remembered um, without the regression. There was a blank in the middle of that um, memory. Um, so basically what happened, this was the first um, incident that I remembered. We were at my grandmother's house in Southampton, New Hampshire. Um, there was some type of family function going on because everybody was there, like aunts, uncles, cousins, you know, the whole extended family. And the way my grandmother's house was set up, you kind of walked in the front door into the kitchen and then there was a dining room that you kind of had to go through to get anywhere else in the house. And off the back side of this dining room was this little three-season porch that kind of overlooked the backyard. And as soon as I kind of cut through the dining room, um, you know, with that vision to the backyard, but I don't remember looking out into the backyard or anything, there was this immediate, like, emergency calling to get outside um, I don't remember how I got outside, but I found myself out in the driveway and my cousin who's six months older than I am was standing out there as well. Um, and like I said, we weren't raised like that. There's the chances of one, one of us getting outside would have been astronomical. Never mind both of us without somebody seeing it. So we're just kind of standing in the driveway. We don't know why or what we're doing. And the woods behind my grandmother's house start not glowing per se, but we're like backlit by this intense red light. Um, and as that was happening, this craft appeared It was from below the tree line and rose above it to where we could see it. Uh, when this craft got above that tree line, it floated over to where we were on the driveway and parked right next to this big tree uh, that used to be at the end of my grandmother's driveway. And it, you know, it kind of had that classical saucer shape, you know, domed on the top. It was probably like 40 feet wide and half the height. Um, it had this row of lights around the middle that it didn't look like individual bulbs. Like the color just kind of flowed more fluidly and it was changing colors like soft whites and this and that. And, all of a sudden, that pattern got really intense. It started going really fast, and it turned into brighter oranges and reds. And at this point, there was just an intense, intense feeling of um, being watched. Um, and when this happened, almost like when you open your car door at night, some type of interior light came on in this thing, and there was like a soft yellow light that exposed a row of windows above the center bar. Um, in that light and through those windows, you couldn't make out any detail, but you could see the shadowy outlines of like a head and shoulders, very humanoid looking from, you know, basic uh, shadows. Um, we watched that for a little bit, and then there was a giant blank in my memory. The next thing I remember... This craft was at the other end of the driveway, hovering above the telephone pole by the road. It kind of sat there for a minute and then just took off into the sky until it 
turned into a little dot and disappeared. And that was always my standing memory of the first encounter. So there was more than one? There was only one at that age. Um, but there was other other encounters at from that location. That you had um, later on. Right. Did other people uh, have encounters as well there? Um, not that I'm aware of, um, other than my cousin. Uh, you know, other people had ghost type stuff. My family was very open about the paranormal. They'd grown up in haunted houses. Had st- That stuff was normal. Everybody could talk about that, no problem. But nobody talked about this UFO stuff. Not until... It was much later in life as I started getting more involved in it. That's when, you know, all the stories came out. My parents saw a UFO. My great uncle was kicked out of a private school here in New Hampshire in the 60s for claiming he was abducted by aliens. You know, and all these stories, once I started just kind of laying it on the line, all these stories from the family came out of the woodwork. And it there was more of a family history that nobody talked about. And I, you know, and this was kind of still part of the, healing process i guess for myself like i grew up with all this internally nobody to talk to nobody to help me with it and yet there were all these other experiences within the family and we find that you know some of the people i work with and other experiences you know they can't even talk about this with their spouse their kids or that you know when for anybody who hasn't had these experiences it really is um or it can be if you don't do something about it, very self-isolating. That was where I was thinking is that you do feel all alone, like there's nobody to talk to and no, because nobody understands what you've been through. You know, they don't get what you're going through. Yeah, exactly. So what are some of the first couple of things, because now you offer support to others through Granite Sky Services that folks can do to, you know, cope with these experiences? Yeah, I mean, there's no, um, you know, format or everybody has their own perception of what their experience was and how they react to it. So you really have to see where somebody is at. It is more uh, individualized than a a formalized, oh, here's the recipe for success type thing, Um, you know, because somebody who's had multiple experiences for a long time. If they see a light in the sky, it might make them a little, you know, unnerved, but it's not that big of a deal because they've been through so much. But to somebody else, that same, you know, scenario might be uh, life altering. It might be what, you know, lets them know that this stuff's real. So it really depends on the person and what they've seen and where they're at with it. All right, sorry to go, but we got a quick break. We'll come back with Mike Stevens and Nomar Slovak. I'm Jeremy Scott. So, you love talk radio, then you'll love TalkStreamLive.com. TalkStream Live is always on, 24-7, with the best streaming talk shows. Find your favorite talkers and discover some new ones. It's free, readily available online, or on mobile with any smartphone or tablet. Finding your favorite talk shows all in one place has gotten a whole lot easier. Just go to TalkStreamLive.com. Be sure to download the free apps from Google Play or the iTunes App Store. 
Telepath is a weekly digital newsletter filled with the latest paranormal news, trending topics, and fresh articles from some of the most popular critical thinkers in the community today. Stay informed on your favorite paranormal podcasts and live streaming talk shows. Interact with the telepath and upload your paranormal story or pics. It could be featured in an upcoming edition. Sign up right now for the free telepath newsletter at paranormal.radio. That's paranormal.radio. Come out at night on Into the Paranormal, where vampires are highly encouraged. Not referring to the experiencers, of course, just making a general blanket statement. I'm Jeremy Scott, my guest tonight, Nomar Slebic and Mike Stevens. And uh, Mike was uh, telling us uh, about his uh, story and about uh, helping experiencers and uh, it is on a case-by-case basis. Do you find, Mike, that folks who are dealing with these experiences, that their emotions are really kind of all over the place? Um, yes and no. I want to be careful how I answer that. Um, you know, for the most part, they're really emotionally stable people. Um, so I don't want to give the impression that they're not. But do their emotions, uh, you know, flex quite a bit? Yeah. Um, you know, we kind of call it like new puppy syndrome when somebody first, it, you know, for the most people, it, it the f- way it happens goes the same. They, you know, email or call or whatever, and they say a little bit about their story. And then it's like radio silence for a few days or a week because they're, they like panic that, oh, my God, I've said too much. What have I done? Like now somebody knows I'm crazy or something. And then. Once they realize, you know, after that time and they talk to you again because they really want to get it off their chest, they become like new puppies and just bouncing all over the place, talking a mile a minute because they've been holding this in for so long and just they're exploding to get it out to somebody. Um, So you, you do have that range of emotions of going, I'm not supposed to talk about this. I shouldn't say that. I said too much to getting to the understanding of, okay, this is okay. I, I I'm not being judged. I'm not, you know, uh, being laughed at or ridiculed. And once that happens, um, yeah, they just, they will just talk and talk and talk because, so they fluctuate like that. And then the emotions, you know, it depends on uh, what they've been through. Some can get, you know, very, uh, the anxiety and the fear um, levels go up. Or, you know, and sometimes if they had uh, positive experiences, they, you know, they'll, they'll become sad because they miss the experience. So it's, it's a range of everything. I don't know that you could put it into one category. Yeah, and I guess by uh, by that I mean that, you know, some people's emotions are a positive. They view it as a positive experience, and other people, they view it, you know, negatively. Or other people, I guess, you know, they don't have a feeling about it either way. Right. Yeah. I mean, the 
whole it's such a personal experience even though you know there's a lot of overlap and similarities between you know a lot of cases it, it is such an individualized um experience that it, it does it has a range of all the emotions and you know as far as we know we have a big problem generalizing things it's us or them you know I, there's probably a really good chance that there's different um, groups of them and maybe some you know experiences are more traumatizing maybe some are more positive but when we all group them together as a they you know it, it kind of gets lost in translation somewhere yeah all right nomar your chance to weigh in on all of this <laughs> uh, well I, I really like how mike put the uh, experiencer emotional state it's it's been my experience as well and speaking with a lot of witnesses that they do appear very uh, calm cool collected emotionally stable um, especially at the beginning of meeting them and 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 hearing their story and then you can a lot of times you can tell there's there's more they want to say or there's more to the story that they're afraid to say and uh, trying to coax some of that information out with uh, some of the types of questions I ask, you can, when I'm with them in person anyways, you can physically see them start to change emotionally. And, uh, and it's not always a bad thing. It's almost like a relaxing or a relief, like okay, this person really wants to hear my story. And uh, it's really cool when that happens. Uh, but of course, I've spoken to other witnesses who uh, burst into tears and, and cried and and were sad, not necessarily because the event was violent or, or something like that, but just so confusing and, and concerned on why they had the experience and not the person lying right next to them or the person next door like what's the what's the big issue or you know what's the bigger context of it all like why am i involved in this and of course i never have any of those answers and i'm very upfront with that as well um what i typically leave an experiencer with is even though i can't answer your questions what i can do is share your story and at the very least hopefully somebody else will read it or hear about it and they'll relate to it in some way and not feel so alone and uh, that that usually sits really well <clears throat> with uh, with witnesses when i tell them that and it obviously sits really well with me too well and a lot of the ways that you uncover this information especially in ufology is by multiple uh, experience or uh, accounts you can start to look back at patterns and start to determine similarities and differences uh, in their accounts. And, and you've probably seen that as, as you've investigated and interviewed uh, experiencers. Yeah, absolutely. There's certainly some common threads, and some of that involve the uh, the, the entity uh, or the alien, whatever it is. Sometimes uh, they're described in a similar manner, but sometimes not. Also, some of the uh, experiences are, are similar um, when, when they start to describe how they were taken or what happened once they were taken. In Mike's case, though, I've never heard of some of these types of encounters that he's had. The, he's had experiences with these 
troll-like beings, and and not that troll-like beings haven't been spoken about before, but not in the way that Mike experienced them. And it almost seems like some of them might have been screen memories on top of screen memories, which is really interesting to think about from you know a researcher perspective uh so so mike's tale is is certainly on on the other end of the pendulum swing when it comes to common threads he does obviously have some common threads with uh a lot of other experiencers but it it goes way off the rails in in some other ways so as far as the whole choice situation, I talked about it earlier. Uh, I don't think you get a choice in the matter as to dictating to these beings what's going to happen. Whether or not you're chosen for the experience is, is another story, but, but you don't get a choice in the matter as to what happens to you. Is, is that an accurate statement, Omar? That definitely seems like an accurate statement. Uh, I don't know of anyone who has asked for an abduction and has gotten one, uh, you know, reminiscent of a paranormal investigator inside of a haunted house, you know, asking a question and a K2 meter going off or they get an EVP right there. You know, I, I haven't had that experience with extraterrestrials. I guess the closest comparison is that uh, CE5 stuff that uh you know greer does and uh, you know i i have my own personal thoughts about greer but there's some interesting information that has been garnered from from some of those sessions or people that do it independently of greer and i find those really interesting and i actually had one myself uh which is really odd A like ce5 yeah um and you don't it, say yeah, I, I didn't even mean to do it, really. <laughs> but I, I was out on an investigation. There was a mountain that uh, I was told by a witness uh, he had seen UFOs coming in and out of it, almost like there was a portal there or something. And there's a lot more to the story, but you know that's for another time. But anyways, uh, this one night I found myself on top of this other mountain looking across the way at this mountain peak that supposedly has UFOs coming in and out of it. And I was there for quite a while. It was probably about one in the morning at this point. And honestly, I was bored. You know, investigating this stuff can be quite boring when you're in the thick of it. So I, I'm leaning against my vehicle. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try calling out to these things. I'm, I'm going to try talking to these things. And so I closed my eyes and I said in my head, you know, like, I, I, I'm open to you. I want to see you. Can you show yourself to me? Something like that. And I was just kind of chanting that in my head. So I opened my eyes and I'm looking at the mountain peak that's across the way. I mean, it's probably 20 miles from me. And I'm looking, I'm like, ah, it didn't work. You know, there's nothing in the sky. I'm just seeing stars. So I start to look around, you know, turn my head. And as I turn around, there's a body of water behind me, probably 20 miles the other way, this big body of water. And hovering above the water, right around the tree line, was a light in the sky. And I couldn't believe it. I'm just watching it going, what? Did they hear me? Did they come? Right when I was experiencing this uh i did have the 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 wherewithal to like grab my camera and start recording it and uh, i have some video of it on my youtube channel uh it's nothing spectacular like don't go rushing there it's just a light in the sky but um 
as I'm recording it, a car is approaching, like coming up the mountain. And I'm like, oh no, like, who is this? And uh, I, I, I came to realize it was just some kids, you know, having a little bit of good time. I started smelling stuff in the air, if you know what I mean. They were just having a good time. So mm. once I was able to put my attention back to the light in the sky, it was gone. So I only saw it for, you know, 20, 30 seconds, but it was an interesting encounter. Mike, do you think that there's anything that brought this experience on or or was this random choice um yeah i you know i i I believe in the theory that it runs in bloodline and as we i've started to open up and start to realize there is that pattern within my family i you know i don't think it's anything necessarily about me in particular i think it's that bloodline has been chosen for whatever reasons and you know I have no idea or I don't even begin to have a hypothesis of why, you know, our family is in that. But Okay. So uh, talk about the troll-like beings, because when, when Nomar said that, I'm just trying to, to think about them. And the first thing I, I thought was Internet trolls. And then I'm thinking, <laughs> well, he clearly can't be talking about Internet trolls. I mean, so, 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 so tell, tell us about these beings. Yeah, so it was right about... About uh, fourth grade, we had just moved from the Southampton area up to um, Farmington, New Hampshire. And um, I shared a bedroom with my brother on the second floor. And I don't know what caused my attention or had me do this, but I got up out of bed and looked out uh, the back window into the backyard. And down on the ground, there was like five of these little... um, troll thing looking things they had the, like the common classic you know big black eyes like we associate with the grays but their faces were a lot more like wrinkly and pug like and they were dressed like almost in like burlapy sack type things it wasn't like uniforms or even real clothes it looked like real homemade um you know just basic um a covering um and they were each holding um, a little spade shovel and the spade shovel was appropriate to their size. They were like three feet tall. Um, and so they're all standing there in like a semicircle holding their, um, you know, shovel. And then on the ground in front of each of them is a perfectly cored out hole into the earth. And and here's where, like, even at the time, as I'm seeing this, I start to realize something's not right with what I'm seeing. And, yeah, the kind of accept the troll thing, and this is what bothered me, which is a weird part. But these holes that were in the ground that are cored out were smaller than um, the shovels. There's no way that hole could have been made with that shovel. So... The whole thing is a complete mess right from the start, Um, you know, but that's my memory of it. So I can't tell the story any other way, but it doesn't seem, you know, factual at the same time either. It seems like a screen memory. As if this memory was implanted. Is that what you mean by that? Yeah. Or I don't know if that's what I'm seeing in my head while something else is going on or you know what the best way to describe it is it's just you know the details didn't make sense that something was being twisted somewhere 
Yeah, screen memory. That's certainly um, a way to describe it because it's basically putting an image into, like you said, either cover something up or to project something uh, to make you believe like you experienced. So what are your thoughts on that, Nomar? Well, uh, it's definitely a common thread in a lot of uh, these experiences. What's interesting about Mike's, though, is that this potential screen memory is also extraterrestrial in nature and, and, and could be covering something up more heinous or just, you know, something uh, that they didn't want him to know. My experience with screen memories are to get out of the extraterrestrial thought process altogether. And it typically comes in the form of animals or, or you know, something else. Uh, but with animals, uh, you know, typically owls are, are what are talked about more than not. Although Mike has uh, seen an owl, he's also seen albino white deer, like during an encounter. And albino deer, at least in our area, are very rare. And he saw two together, which, you know, the odds of that are uh, uh, much higher, obviously. So it's, uh, I think it's interesting. And the fact that it's a common thread and what people describe seeing is uh, fairly different from case to case is, is also an interesting point as well. And and this is really just, this is more than just a, a story of an alien encounter, really Mike, I mean, there's so much more to this yeah, story, isn't I mean, there? Yeah, I mean, we the, we ended up with the book we should have written, but it's uh, I don't think by either of our accounts it's a book we started out to write. Um, you know, and I don't want to say this in a bad way to anybody who's written a book this way because people love it; they just want to hear the stories. And I think that's when we first talked about doing this. That's what we both kind of had in mind. I'd tell him, you know, what had happened, and he'd just kind of correlate it and try to you know shuffle it around put it in order and you know so it was a tellable story and somewhere along the process you know it it became less about the extraterrestrial stuff and more about the human experience um that goes along with it Uh, you know the my story and my encounters are what keep the pages turning but it's not really the story so much it's the underlying and the human part of it uh, really come to light. And that's, you know, I think because Nomar has had his own experiences, he's very trustworthy. And, you know, at some point, I I don't think he planned on this either. He kind of gets sucked into the story, like his own thoughts as we're going through this process of listening to, you know, regressions and hearing stories and seeing pictures and driving, you know, to places things happen that, it becomes very real to both of us in this uh, just twist of fate, the way everything happened. And maybe Nomar can explain it a little better than that. Oh, no, I, I, I think you put it pretty well, but, but the, the, the book, it, it really did take a life of its own. And it happened uh, while I was writing it. There, there was glimpses of it when I was interviewing Mike. He and I sat down for two long form interviews on two different dates. And when I say long form, like we talked for, you know, like four hours and it was emotional for him. There were breaks that had to be taken. And when I got those glimpses of it, that's that's when I was uh, I would daydream while he was telling me some of these stories and 
I, I could picture myself. It was, it was almost playing like a movie, and, and I was Mike, and I was seeing, uh, you know, this ball of light that was, you know, three feet off the ground, and then it turned into a white dog that was about to jump on him. And, you know, uh, it was really interesting stuff that I was kind of going through there just with his story. Then on top of that, you add the layer of the emotional aspect, the, the PTSD trauma that he experienced also brought out the PTSD trauma in my own life experiences. So not from extraterrestrials, but for, you know, from, from other things that happen in people's life, you know, things uh, that affect us. And, uh, you know, I struggle personally with anxiety and depression. And these are real stories uh, that happen to people. Uh, you know, uh, the anxiety and depression is, is real for people, is what I'm saying. And just because my anxiety and depression wasn't caused by quote extraterrestrials, it doesn't make my my anxiety and depression more valid than Mike's. So, what I started to realize while I was writing is that Mike's trauma from this is just as valid just as real, and needs to be handled and cared for the same way uh, that somebody has trauma that didn't have an extraterrestrial experience, because it's just as real. It's it's not about proving Mike's story. It's about telling it and healing as much as possible and uh, and getting through some of that trauma and normalizing the conversation about trauma. Yeah, and as Mike says, it's not necessarily about proof, and you make that point because this is perceptual, as I said. People uh, who go through the same experiences have different accounts and different perceptions of the same experience. Our program tonight with Nomar Slevic and Mike Stevens is called Taken for Granted. And I'm Jeremy Scott. We'll be back after the news with Brad Bernards. If you're listening on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live, thank you for putting us on the list of most popular shows. Download the app at TalkStreamLive.com and listen to Into the Paranormal 24-7. Attention homeowners. Spending more time around your house means you're putting more stress on major appliances that keep your home running. Like many Americans, a major breakdown could be very costly during these uncertain times. AC unit goes, that's 4500 bucks. Water heater breaks, 1500 When you own a home, it's always something. If you have a home warranty, those repairs could cost you nothing. A home service club warranty pays for the repair or replacement of your home appliances and systems when they break down, even from normal wear and tear. For about a dollar a day, you can cover your home appliances and systems. It's not a question of if they'll break down, it's when. If you call now, you'll get your first month free and $75 off your first year. Make home appliance repairs one less thing to worry about. Call 800-249-8901 now for your free quote, free first month, and $75 off your first year. 800-249-8901 now. That's 800-249-8901. Again, 800-249-8901. 
Get your free audiobook today at audibletrial.com slash paranormal. Enjoy thousands of titles on iOS, Android, Sonos, Kindle, and Alexa-enabled devices. Get a free audiobook today and a free 30-day trial membership to Audible when you go to audibletrial.com slash paranormal. Get yourself a free audiobook and help into the paranormal. audibletrial.com slash paranormal. Abnormal News, I'm Brad Bernards. Astronomers have discovered a new type of alien world, the first known ultra-hot Neptune. According to Space.com, previous research found that about 1 in 200 sun-like stars possesses a planet that circles its star so tightly that it orbits in less than one Earth day. Ultra-short-period planets. All previous known ultra-short-period planets were either rocky planets less than twice Earth's width or so-called hot Jupiters, gas giants sizing in at more than 10 times Earth's diameter. Mysteriously, scientists haven't found many ultra-short-period planets of intermediate size, a phenomenon dubbed the hot Neptune desert because Neptune lies between Earth and Jupiter in size. Now scientists have discovered an exoplanet that sits right in the hot Neptune desert, but this planet is much hotter hotter than any hot Neptune discovered yet, ultra-hot, with the star heating it to temperatures of about 3,100 degrees Fahrenheit. Every exoplanet is special in its own way, but a newly discovered exoplanet 186 light-years away is an especially delicious treat, according to reporting in ScienceAlert.com. It's a smallish world around the same size as Earth, whipping around its star on an orbit that takes just 3.14 days. That's extremely close to the mathematical constant pi, the number that describes the ratio of a circle's circumference to its diameter. So even though the exoplanet's official name is K2315b, its discoverers have nicknamed it Pi Earth. The first hints of its existence back in 2017, when the Kepler Space Telescope was conducting its second extended mission. There's more news at ParaAbnormalRadio.com. I'm Brad Bernards, ParaAbnormal News. These balls of light would come through the window. And then once they got into the room, they would kind of just form into these smoky silhouettes of um, bodies. You couldn't really see any features to them. It almost looked like like a living shadow, almost made out of like smoke or something. There was like a little bit of movement within itself. It wasn't just like a shadow, but there wasn't any features you could really see. Shedding light on everything the lamestream media doesn't want you to know about. And everything else they don't care to investigate. You're traveling with Jeremy Scott into the paranormal. Abnormal. 
My guests are Nomar Slevic and Mike Stevens, the book Granite Skies. I'm Jeremy Scott. From the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest, 855-790-8255, our toll-free number in North America, outside North America, it's 503-506-0396, and international and Skype callers, ITP51. Just an, an absolutely incredible story there. Uh, that piece of music, by the way, uh, we heard is from uh, the official soundtrack. Is that right, Nomar? Yeah, that's right. That's the uh, <clears throat> That was from the soundtrack to the book, Granite Skies. I appreciate you playing that. It's called uh, Hole in the Sky, and uh, it's available digitally and also on cassette. That's really, really cool. I mean, I would love to just uh, get my hands on one of those cassettes. I don't know that I necessarily have anything to play it, which you would think I I would because I'm a radio guy, but I've kind of moved on from that. But it would look really cool on the bookshelf behind me. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So uh, folks can pick that up where? Uh, com. That's my online store. I've got books, uh, tapes, DVDs, all that good stuff over there. Uh, you can also go to allmylinks.com slash Slevic, and that has links to all of my works and documentaries and all that good stuff, too. All right, and Mike, uh, tell us about your website and Granite Sky Services. Um, yeah, so the website is uh granitesky.org and it's pretty simple uh you know it's not too flashy um there's a couple different ways to get a hold of me on there and it just you know it's got a bunch of fancy names for different services but at the end of the day whatever you need will make something work whether it's private group uh you know family sessions uh, that's kind of the one thing one, there's not enough people helping experiencers in general. Um, but then the ones that limited resources that are out there, they're only kind of really working uh, with the actual experiencer. We try to offer a little bit more where, you know, if they need help trying to sit sit down and tell their family and friends or, you know, or the hardest part about even admitting this stuff, yeah, it's a little bit of a weight off your chest. You still have to navigate through a very, you know, 3D world that operates on, you know, punch in, clock out, you know, repeat type system. And, you know, there's not a lot of room in a lot of people's mindsets to, um, you know, you can't be like, yeah, I'm not going to work today. Why? Because I was abducted last night. Like, that doesn't fly in our society. So, you know, we try to help them any way we can to, you know, one, give them an experiencer community that's supportive, but try to help them feel supported in their, you know, day-to-day life. And that's what it's more about. You know, I don't, yeah, I care what your experiences are. I want to hear because I'm interested. But at the end of the day, that's the last thing I care about. I just want to make sure you can, you know, get through the day and sleep. Yeah, and, and not be triggered, right? And not kind of relive those experiences. That's that's really key here. Right. I mean, because, you know, people don't realize it doesn't take much sometimes. I, I know um, a gentleman who was just walking through his kitchen in the night uh, to go to the bathroom or something, you know, mundane that we all do, you know, and just the way the light hit 
the uh, top of a crock pot lid with that little domed uh, shape glinted and, you know, triggered a very bad reaction. Uh, you know, this stuff is buried deep, but just below the surface at the same time, you know, and when it emerges, it, you know, you can't shut it off. It, it's there. And now you're stuck in a situation where you have to try to process it the best you can to move on. Exactly. So, Nomar, talk about what it was like in your sessions with Mike and what kinds of things you were asking him. And because you mentioned you did a couple of, of sessions there. Walk us through those, if you don't mind. Uh, sure. Um, one thing about Mike is that, and he's been doing this for, for so long, you know, at this point, that he's really well-versed in how to handle himself in an interview situation. So there was a, a whole lot of me listening and typing as fast as I could and only really asking clarifying questions. So I didn't really have to dig too much with Mike. It, it was just all right there on the surface and it came pouring out. And as it was pouring out, it would also spark a little memory of another little incident that he hadn't thought about in years. Uh, usually not, you know, very intense or, or, or mind blowing. <clears throat> But it showed me that very clearly his encounters happen more often than not. And that was just very surprising to me. A lot of people that I experience, while they have multiple experiences, a lot of them do, uh, not at the the consistent level that Mike has. Uh, there was a time when he was young where he had experiences over the course of nine months where these entities that he actually got used to were visiting him and, you know, talking to him uh, telepathically. Uh, so, you know, really interesting in, in that aspect. So the interview process for me was more eye-opening on the actual scope of his encounters uh, along with the emotional aspect of it before I knew his story in full. There, there's actually things uh, about his experiences that uh, I don't know, and I don't know if anyone will ever know. Like he just hasn't shared them yet because they're so personal to him, which is fine. Um, but the the emotional part of it that was coming out was, I guess it wasn't surprising. It was just so raw, and the rawness of it really connected with me and i was sad when he was sad i was scared when he was scared i laughed when he laughed he has one experience that he calls the et encounter you think he'd call the whole thing that but this one specific encounter he calls the et encounter because this one entity that he experienced was wearing a t-shirt <laughs> like uh, from the et movie so it was i, I got just real tied in on an emotional aspect and it honestly it bonded mike and i uh, i wouldn't say that he and i are the best of friends but we were acquaintances and now it's it's kind of like beyond friendship it's like a a brethren or or something it's kind of hard to describe but we connected on this you know intimate emotional level uh that i wholeheartedly appreciate how do you view that uh view that mike um yeah i mean i think he summed it up pretty good yeah it was a 
it was a constant, uh, you know, give and take. Cause I'm, I, I had known I liked him because we'd worked together, you know, on other projects before, and I thought he was a decent guy, and that's why I agreed to do this. And the further we got in, you know, the more we were, more I was sharing with him, and the more I had to trust him. But then just the whole, um, you know, I'm trusting him with the, this emotional stuff. Um, you know, we got kind of whapped upside the head on, you know, kind of more his world, the publishing side of it, where the publisher. They said, yeah, we'll take the book, but we, you know, we didn't have all the controls we needed as far as title cover. And we're like, uh, we're not really willing to budge. So, you know, as much as I entrusted him, he then had to turn around and trust me and be like, I don't know, like, I'm under contract. If I walk away from this, like, this could sit on the shelf for this project could sit on the shelf for easily another year. You know, do we do it? Do we walk away? And we did and then from that like just other magical you know things came into this process um our editor who's a talented writer herself uh valerie lafasso who's been a friend of mine for years worked together really knows my story because she's heard it you know throughout the years so she knew how to edit the book in such a way that she was making it readable and you know grammar type edits she didn't like change the heart of the story and you know things like that just kept happening like we're both kind of on eggshells of you know me like i you know i'm starting to feel like all right we're gonna do this we're gonna get the story out at the other time i'm you know a lot of anxiety of like i'm gonna be really overexposed there's no you know turning this off once it's out there and he's like oh i'm i'm an author i'm walking away from a publisher so you know, not just through the, you know, interviews and spending time together and talking, um, like he was saying, this, you know, kinship came in from a lot of different uh, levels. And I, and I think it shows through on the book. The revelations that have come as a result of your uh, experiences, Mike, have there been messages or, or, or something of the, of the kind? Not so much direct messages. Um it's happened a couple times, um, but it, it's more the, you know, I don't know if you believe in spirit guides or any of that stuff. It's almost like that. If I try to step away from this stuff, my life goes downhill real quick. They almost push me in front of this uh, to keep going with this sort of stuff. The, the only real messages I've, I've gotten or remembered, um, like Nomar had mentioned a little bit earlier before, um, there was this group that visited maybe not every day, but more than once a week for like that nine month period. And that seemed like a, um, teaching atmosphere almost for the most part. Um, and on one occasion, uh, what I perceived to be a female, um, she approached the bed and opened up this little black box and inside it, there was, um, what looked like, a crystal arrowhead like a arrowhead made out that had been flinted and stuff like out of stone but it looked like it was made of crystal or glass it was clear at any rate and not like audibly she said this is the key now i have no idea if that was metaphorical or if it was a physical key or what it meant but that was like the one message i've got and the only other one was um a couple years ago I had um, 
just finished eating dinner and I went outside to have a cigarette and it was a fairly normal day. I wasn't doing, um, you know, I hadn't worked with any experiencers that day or had anything going on in my life that was, you know, wasn't watching a sci-fi movie or anything. It was just like a really, what most people would consider a typical day. And I went out uh, to have the cigarette and I'm just looking up at the sky because that's what I do. And, you know, there was nothing that caught my eye, no star that was twinkling a little too bright or anything like that. Um, I just got all of a sudden like floored with this message um, that you have a daughter out here. Um, and it like, it wasn't just the hearing the words in my head. It came with this like really heavy um, emotion too that like blindsided me. I walked back in the house with like tears running down my face. My girlfriend at the time was like, you know, what happened? And I told her, and then I, I was kind of just done for the day. It's like one of those things you hear about in other cases, but, and I believed it in the other cases, but I didn't want to believe it for me or have that be part of my story. And it, it just kind of floored me in a lot of different ways. These experiences, Mike, they've come in a variety of different forms. Um, have they not? Um, yeah. I mean, some have been more of your, I guess, stereotypical, you know, see a saucer shape thing or lights in the sky or, you know, what we'd call our classic gray type aliens or things like that. But um, a lot of it's been either a mix of animals with some of that or just like Nomar was saying, the um, deer and stuff. I had an encounter with a blue jay that tied into some of this stuff when I was younger and I have this extreme phobia of birds now. Um, so I, I tend to get a lot more deer than owls. Um, but yeah, the, sometimes it's more spiritual and, and sometimes it's more of a physical, like when I was younger, the abduction type stuff was definitely more um, physical interactions where Modernly, it's more, um, I guess, almost spiritual or maybe not quite as physical all the time. Not fit, non-physical. So then what would happen in, in one of those cases? Um, just maybe some of the stuff that's more uh, dreamlike, but, you know, you wake up exhausted or you wake up um, with that feeling that it was too real too real to be a dream, but you don't have a clear enough memory of it to um, know the difference type stuff. Um, sometimes it's, you know, it's the, uh, you don't know, it wasn't too long ago that, you know, I, I didn't see anything in the sky, but then I kind of had like two hours of missing time. Um, and then I was, it was getting dark and I was rushing around to try to get a hammock up. I was on top of this mountain and um, all of a sudden I see this flashing from my bag and I'm like, what is that? And it was my headlamp, but my headlamp doesn't have a strobe thing on it. So I took a real quick video of it just because I was going to, you know, complain on Facebook, like I'm it's getting dark, I'm stuck on a mountaintop and my flashlight decides to do this or whatever. So I do that. I get the flashlight going and 
all this. And so I send the thing to Nomar and I'll let him pick up the story from there. Okay. So Mike's really just having one of his typical hiking days. <clears throat> And he sends me this video, and he's like, this is kind of strange. I have a headlamp, and there's four settings on it. There's a bright, a little bit brighter. There's a red function, and I, I always forget what the fourth one, in, fourth one is, but it is not strobe. Strobe is not one of the functions. But it, it was strobing on him, and so he took video of that strobing, and that's what he sent to me to look at. And when I viewed it, it reminded me of Morse code, just the way it was blinking. It, it seemed rhythmic. It seemed attention-getting, in my opinion. So I was like, well, what the hell? So I just brought up uh, Morse code translation, you know, just Googled it, brought up a page that translates. And the blinking spelled out the initials MS, which obviously stands for Mike Stevens. And uh, that's obviously, uh, you know, anecdotal. We we don't know if that is what's happening, but just very synchronistic that Mike has this, you know, innocuous uh, moment. But it was strange enough for him to record it and then to have it actually spell out the two letters ms was it was very odd to both of us and it actually gave us goosebumps when uh when we came to that realization i i I can certainly imagine that these dreams though mike they appear i mean real as anything yeah um they do and you know i i think it's a common misperception one because we're not really open to this topic um you know it's not just this topic other realms of the paranormal you know uh past loved ones and all this stuff we call anything that happens from when we know we went to bed to when we wake up in the morning a dream just because well we should have been in sleep and you know i don't i don't know that that's always the case and i you know i'm of the well yes some of the abduction stuff is very physical in nature Uh, a lot of it you know and the I think a lot of other people would agree too that some of it really seems to be involved with uh you know the consciousness of the experiencers themselves and so i think some of this stuff does happen uh you know on a non-physical uh, level as well so you have, you have the physical occurrences and the non-physical as well uh, and so these are events that basically you don't remember happening or there may not be anything physically to say it happened, but you know something went on. Yeah, and it's one of the, you know, for a lot of experiencers, it, it's just enough to keep you on edge. Like, you know, you had your big physical, you know, thing whenever and then, you know, you just get all these weird synchronicities and stuff that's just a little off that always kind of keeps you on edge. You're like, is that related? Does this mean something else? Is it? It's just this constant uh, set of weirdness, like, you know, that you're part of or it's attracted to you. And you can never quite get yourself to a place where you're like, all right, I understand all this. I'm going to be normal today. I'm just, you know, there's always something that just kind of throws you off a little bit. Mike, on that on that night uh, in 1983, um, how far were you lured away from home? Um, well, we 
as far as we, you know, the driveway is as far as we went out. Um, as far as we know, the regression that I had to kind of fill in that blank, it would seem we did go inside the craft, um, but I don't know that it like took off or just sat there or hovered or anything like that. And as it hovered, it was not very high in the sky at a, from from what I remember of your story, right? It wasn't no, it was really high up there in the feet, atmosphere. If I could, yeah, guess. Yeah, around forty feet. And how long was it there? Um, it's really hard to say. Like when it was, we were looking at it, and it was looking at us, or it felt like it was looking at us. It really seemed like a long time. Um. And kind of in that moment, in that uh, place of fear, it maybe didn't last as long as we thought it did. Or maybe, I don't know, um, it seemed, it was almost, it seemed like time had stopped almost. Because it seemed you're just stuck in this perpetual, like, primal fear um, when it happened. But I, it could have, you know, been... 30 seconds it could have been five minutes i couldn't really say just because we are more focused on the feet uh the fear and that sort of thing my guests are mike evans and nomar slavic and i'm jeremy scott from the cold dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote pacific northwest we'll be back Have you noticed that well-known and controversial talk show hosts have recently been censored on the internet by corporate and political interests? Hey guys, it's Clyde Lewis here with Ground Zero Radio, and in order to counter against the suppression of information, we've decided to create our own private digitalized playground. It's called Aftermath.media. It's an exclusive online multimedia library featuring videos, movies, audio clips, archive shows, ebooks, documents, and much, much more. Our news aggregator, Nucifer, provides current news relating to many of the topics we cover. We'll also be hosting the Ground Zero friendly podcasts like Into the Parabnormal with Jeremy Scott and The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Aftermath is a social media platform along with the chat room to interact with many of our listeners. Mobile apps for Android and Apple will soon be available at Aftermath.media. The monthly subscription to Aftermath.media is $9.99 a month. This includes exclusive access to the library of archived Ground Zero podcasts and shows. If you're interested in having access to our podcast, it's only $4.99 a month. Thanks for supporting Ground Zero by subscribing to Aftermath.media. Sign up today. Aftermath.media. That's Aftermath.media. What you believe might not be. Step into the zone of the best unknown. UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, conspiracies, and cover-ups. Into the paranormal we go. Got something to say? Call toll-free 855-790-8255 or ITP-51. Into the paranormal.
My guests are Mike Stevens and Nomar Slavic. The book is Granite Skies. I'm Jeremy Scott. From the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. Mike, can you explain Granite Skies and, and the meaning behind that? Um, yeah, it's... Uh the meaning behind it is fairly simple. Um, you know, I'm in New Hampshire. We are the granite uh, state. Everything out here is named, you know, granite bath and tub, granite bank, granite this, granite that. So, I mean, that that wasn't a big stretch of the imagination on uh, that. And then the sky uh, part, obviously, it ties into the um, UFO stuff and the looking up. But it was also a, you know, a, a hidden nod to my grandfather who used to run a business called uh, Skywind. And, you know, as I, we've gone through my experiences and started to figure it out, there's a inkling that he might have been involved with this stuff as well. So uh, the combination of that um, just really worked for me. And um, about it, it, yeah, like I said, it's it's one it's helping people um but two on you know more of a personal basis but we've gone beside you know we've really formed um a little community of um experiencers that really uh, look out for each other and you know if I'm, you know, busy doing something or something, they still have somebody to talk to because they can talk to this one or that one or, um, you know, and they help me as much as I help them too. It's really circular and that that community is, uh, you know, what Granite Sky is about. Um, we're, you know, we're struggling a little bit now, um, like most people is with this COVID stuff, but we're still getting together, you know, at least once a month um, in person, um, whereas we used to do it weekly. But, you know, yeah, that community, it means a lot to me and it means a lot to uh, the people in it as well. Mike, how many different kinds of beings were on board that craft with you? Um, on the You're talking about the incident at my grandmother's? Yeah, or I guess if we want to talk about your experiences as as a whole, maybe how many different kinds of, of beings have you encountered in your experiences? I'd say like four, but within that four, if one of those four was uh, what we'd call grays, I've seen uh, multiple variations of, um, you know, that gray archetype. With variations in uh, height and skin color. So, you know, I don't know if you want to count each of those as, you know, its own little thing, but then um, the troll like things, um, a mantisy type thing, and one, I don't know if you call it a reptilian or not. Um, to me, it looked like the uh, creature from the Black Lagoon almost, except to have more cat like eyes. Okay. So what were some of the traumatic effects that that had on you growing up? I mean, we we talked about how, you know, you knew you were a little bit different than the other kids going through school. But were there other things that you were dealing with uh, during that time? Yeah, most of it was the social anxiety at that point um, that I can recall, the not talking to anybody. But, you know, that's the thing that people 
don't get. Experiences don't just deal with this when there's a light in the sky or they're having an experience. There's that aftermath. And it's not it's not just being afraid or kind of thinking about it. It's the chemistry in your brain actually changes. Um, when somebody has post-traumatic stress disorder, the, the way the brain performs is different from how somebody who doesn't have it and and that decision making always puts you in a you know fight or flight type situation so even what would be normal for you know somebody else uh it's your brain is is thinking about it radically different so even small things like I don't know, even now, if I know I have $8.12 in my pocket, I will still have to count it four times and three check the price on something three times to make sure it's there just because, you know, the anxiety of if I was fell short and that people saw or something, you know, and just little things like that constantly. Uh, you know, am I safe here? Am I comfortable here? Can I see the exits? Can I see if some where somebody's going to come in or leave or, you know, just all this stuff constantly all day from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed um, is just how you get through the day every day because you know after you've been through situations where you realize you're not in control of your own life you can be taken out of your own life at any moment in time any second um, you know you your brain's in a different mode it and trying to that duality of being the ad experiencer and trying to get through the day-to-day, you know, life that most of us live when they, that spot where they collide is, uh, you know, a lot different for experiencers. All right, uh, Nomar, you've kind of been sitting there and listening here for a little bit, so let's bring you back in here <laughs> and and your thoughts on what Mike's uh, been discussing. <laughs> well, I... I... <laughs> Just with the the anxiety piece of it, it's it's really. I mean, people deal with anxiety on a daily basis within their own lives without this extraterrestrial aspect to it. I like I'm currently dealing with it like during the course of this show. You know, like <clears throat> oh, is this going well? Like oh, geez, I rambled here. I did this there. Blah blah blah. And you're just constantly questioning yourself you're constantly questioning the reality that you're in right now and to be an experiencer on top of that it puts this irrational pressure on yourself and it's mind-numbing it's exhausting you just want to live your life and what mike has gone through what millions of people have gone through it's it's honestly just sad, and I think Mike's doing a great thing by trying to help people within his community. And you know, it's it's not like Alcoholics Anonymous or anything where there's chapters all over the United States. There are groups all over the United States, but they're not interconnected like AA is. So you know, to 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 feel that global community isn't there for this experiencer community and and that part of it is kind of tough but mike's doing important work with with working with these people and you know getting the word out is uh, is always a good thing because he'll help people from all over the united states they might not be able to meet with him physically but you know they can talk to him on the phone or send him messages things like that 
So being able and comfortable to speak out with someone you trust is just wholly important. And I guess those were some of the thoughts that were going through my head while you guys were talking. (laughs) Yeah, Nomar, as the researcher hearing some of Mike's stories, which ones stand out to you the most? Wow, there's there's a ton that stand out, but it's it's um the the creature entities that that uh that Mike has experienced really stand out. There 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 was one experience where it, there there was this alien like tinkering with his brain. It, I mean, it's just jaw dropping to hear things like that. Mike should tell that story really quick. It's it's fascinating. Um, yeah, so just for some clarity, um, you know, try to just tell it how it is. But this was kind of more dreamy, uh, screen memory-ish. But um, there was this, um, like, a troll-looking thing again. But it, was, it wasn't the same as the other ones. This one was bigger. This is probably, I don't know, like four or five feet tall and... and a little thicker, a little heavier set. Um, and I was laying in bed and he had the, you know, like almond shaped eyes again. I was kind of playing like 20 questions with him. Like, Oh, are you with them? He's like, no. I'm like, do you know who they are? And he's like, yes. Like, and all this weird stuff. And the imagery that I was showing is he's doing this stuff and like getting fed up with my questions is, you know, I was in the bed. I never like physically moved to look down, but I was kind of shown the imagery of this toolbox next to the bed. And what he said to me, not audibly, but what I heard him say to me um, was, I'm going to do some tinkering. And the interesting part of this is more so uh, the timing. Cause this is, this is right about the part where, I'm starting to just take all this uh, information in on my own stuff. And it's, I'm kicking up memories and stuff's flooding back to me. And I'm pretty much in a bad spot um, mentally at this time frame. I'm, I'm overloaded. I'm in a marriage that is falling apart, Um, you know, and I'm, I'm ready to lose it, basically. So this thing comes in and does his tinkering. And, you know, I I don't know that it was like a light switch effect or quite that instant, but it seemed to be the turnaround point where I started to kind of pull myself back up by my bootstraps and kind of, not that you ever have a handle on this, I don't think, but, you know, start to get on the right side of it and move forward in a direction where I was beginning to accept it in a healthier way and, you know, eventually led me down to this path of helping others. What are some of the reactions you have gotten from people that you have helped on this journey, Mike? It's again, like Nomar was saying with the anxiety thing, um, you know, you're always judging yourself and, you know, it's hard. I have a hard time taking a compliment when, you know, people are very supportive. Um, you know, people have gone out of their way to thank me, um, just help me in normal life and really just be such good people. And I I stand there going, 
what are you doing this for? Like, I'm not worth this. Don't, you know, so it's, and that's again, the self-worth, um, you know, it is part of being the experiencer too. Cause you almost feel like damaged goods, um, sometimes, but yeah, the feedback's been great. Um, you know, in general with the work we've, you know, done in person with groups and stuff, people are so grateful. Um, you know, and it's not just even the person sometimes. Sometimes it's their family and the people around them, you know, have come out and they're like, you know, we see a huge difference in them. They're like, they're such a happier person. They're they're a little, you know, they're more fun to be around now. And, um, you know, with the book where we kind of took it off the UFO spectrum just a hair, we weren't sure how you know, like UFO readers were going to take that. And the, we've gotten good feedback on that as well as, uh, you know, we hit the mark we were trying to and people are uh, receptive to it. So that's been uh, good to hear too, because that was, that was a really hard thing to put out on the line the way we did. Yeah, I so, think that's an important part of it where we we told the story that we wanted to tell and we didn't care if a bridge was going to get burned in regards to a publisher, we we just knew, just something inherently we knew, we had to tell this story this very specific way. It had to look a certain way. It had to read a certain way. And we were damned if we weren't going to do that. And if we had to do it ourselves, we we were going to, and we did. Luckily, didn't we didn't end up burning any bridges either. And the feedback, like Mike said, has been amazing. People have reached out and uh, have related to it uh, on the uh, experiencer aspect, like, uh, you know, I've been abducted too, and, and I had these types of encounters, and it was so nice to read something similar. Uh, and then we've had it on the mental health side, where people are like, wow, you know, if, there is hope for me. There's hope for Mike, and Mike is in a tough spot. He's still in a tough spot, and there's hope for him. He feels hope. I feel hope, and that that's really powerful to both of us. Mike, walk us through your journey um, here. You went through this experience as a child, and then you had a, a long stretch of, of visitations, from what I understand, uh, when you were a little older. Uh, when did that occur? Yeah, I was about eight or nine. It was third grade-ish. Um, and when that was happening, we actually moved into the house right next door to my grandmother's. Um, so, you know, that whole area was fairly central in childhood childhood to these early experiences um yeah and then you know there there were dotted stuff throughout the years i mean as recent as well the the flashlight or headlamp store we talked about that was maybe a month ago maybe a month and a week ago now um the last time i saw anything was last saturday uh, we with a group of about myself and four other people and we all walked it wasn't you know anything fantastic it was just there was a light in the sky that we all kind of thought was maybe a satellite or something at first but it was hauling and once we all kind of drew attention to it it just stopped dead in the sky and then um just like dimmed its light right out we're like all right that was kind of weird but so you know there's always something going on it's just are you paying attention to it? Are you, you know, I don't know, you know, it's, I think a lot of weird stuff happens to a lot of people 
fairly regularly, but if it's not the, you know, this big overwhelming experience, it, it, it makes it a lot easier to just brush off. Yeah. And do you get that? No, Mar, sometimes when you talk to witnesses is that they don't value maybe the significance of their experience. I wouldn't say they don't value the significance of the experience because they have come forward to finally get it off their chest. What I have found is that within that experience, there are details that they did brush off because a lot of people aren't really thinking about the days, weeks, and months before their encounter and the days, weeks, and months after the encounter. It's that encounter is all-consuming. But in, in questioning a witness, you ask some some very basic questions. You know, did uh, anything out of the ordinary happen, you know, the week before the encounter, the month before the encounter? And they'll hem and haw and think about it. Then they'll be like, you know, I was going to bed and blah, 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 light in the sky, da, da, da. And some other stuff starts coming out. And then, you know, the next thing you know, two or three or four interviews later, you have this scope of a lifetime of encounters. And they're either brushing it off, they're forgetting it, or they're screen memories, uh, or there's there's missing time, and they're not allowed for whatever reason to 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 have these memories. But it's really interesting to uh, people that I've experienced, anyways, end up having uh, more than just that one encounter. That was kind of like the breaking point, or the <laughs> the the. The mental shaking of the shoulders, like, hey, something's happening to you. <laughs> like, you're a part of this. And that was the big encounter. And then the other stuff that they brushed off starts to make more sense. It starts to to sync up to uh, being a part of that big experience. It's interesting stuff. Derek in Massachusetts, you're on. Hello. Hey, Jeremy. Really great show tonight. Awesome I stuff. appreciate that. Um, I have a real quick question. Um, I'm calling from uh, northern Massachusetts, uh, southern New Hampshire, from like the uh, Lowell area. So I was just wondering, uh, you don't have to say exactly where the experiences happened, but like relatively whereabouts in New Hampshire were they? Because this part of the area is where the Betty and Barney Hill experience happened. It's where the uh, Exeter incident happened. And it's also Lovecraft country, which could explain these kind of <laughs> trolly mud swamp monsters. That's very uh, Lovecraftian. But I'll let you go and I'll listen out the air. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, not really all that far from that area. Southampton, New Hampshire is just over the, um, you know, Amesbury, New Amesbury line in Massachusetts. So fairly close to um, Lowell. Uh, you, the light we saw in the sky, the group of us that I was just talking about was actually in Haverhill. So, even a little closer down to that area. But yeah, like we talked about at the very beginning of the show, you know, this whole, you know, area is just always been such a hot spot for, um, you know, some of the bigger cases that we know about. But then when you start talking to people, there's so many cases, I would assume everywhere, but in this area in particular that nobody knows about. Because they're just regular people who don't want to be in the limelight. They don't want to be exposed. They don't want to know about it. They just want to get it off their chest. Derek, thank you so much for the call in Massachusetts. There's southern Massachusetts out there, New Hampshire, where this all takes place. It's Mike Stevens and Nomar Slab at Granite Skies, the name of the book. I'm Jeremy Scott. We'll be back. 
Don't venture too far. You might not make it back into the pair of normal. Listen up, guys. Are you experiencing any of the following? Fatigue? Less drive? Poor performance? If so, you may be one of the nearly 30 million men in the U.S. today dealing with ED. But did you know you don't have to pay hundreds for a prescription anymore? And you don't have to deal with the hassle of seeing the doctor or the embarrassment of going to the pharmacy for a certain pill. Now, with one free call, you can find out how Herbal Virility Max can help you feel like a man again. For over a decade, Herbal Virility Max has helped guys just like you put a smile back on their face with improved performance and drive. Call today at 800-509-4017. That's 800-509-4017. Save the money, save the hassles, and get the better blue pill. Call 800-509-4017. That's 800-509-4017. Like the show but want to listen without commercials? Now for $4 a month, a commercial-free version of this program is available at ParabnormalRadio.com. You've asked for it, and we listened. It's available now, the commercial-free version of Into the Parabnormal. Go to ParabnormalRadio.com and click the banner for more information. $4 a month. A steal of a deal, if you ask me. Help support us and our war against censorship. That's ParabnormalRadio.com. Here Abnormal News, I'm Brad Bernards. Fizz.org reports the National Radio Astronomy Observatory has joined a new NASA space mission to the far side of the moon to investigate when the first stars began to form in the early universe. The universe was dark and foggy during its dark ages, just 380,000 years after the Big Bang. There were no light-producing structures yet, like stars and galaxies, only large clouds of hydrogen gas. Gravity drove the formation of the stars and black holes, which ended the dark ages and initiated the cosmic dawn. To learn more about the dark period of the cosmos and understand how and when the first stars began to form, astronomers are trying to catch energy produced by these hydrogen clouds in the form of radio waves. A team of scientists and engineers have decided to send a small spacecraft to lunar orbit and measure this signal while traversing the far side of the moon, which is radio quiet. From TechCrunch.com, a combination of smartphone-style electronics and brain-implanted microelectrodes may help the blind see. RT America's Natasha Sweet reports. Restoring sight, as miraculous as it sounds, could become a reality sooner than once thought. Researchers at Monash University in Australia are now in the process of implanting their new vision system in human patients, the first in the world. The system has already been shown to work in preclinical studies and non-human trials on sheep, and researchers are now preparing for a first human clinical trial. There are still a number of steps required before this becomes something that can actually be produced and used commercially, not least of which is the extensive human clinical trial process. There's more news at ParaAbnormalRadio.com. I'm Brad Bernards, ParaAbnormal News.
you had one of the space pilots, the ones that crashed? Secret is Area 51. Yeah, and if you believe that, you'll really like this show. Into the Paranormal. <laughs> Taken for granted, my guest tonight, Nomar Slubik. And um, Mike Stevens, and that was all Nomar, right? Or is there other people you'd like to give credit for that amazing piece of uh, music right there? Uh, no, nah, that was me, man. I appreciate you playing. That was Thank all you. you. Yeah, man, you are the man. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I mean, very much. That was just amazing in in every way. Uh, how long did it take you to come up with that? Ah, uh, geez, man. I, uh, I'm really dialed in at this point. I've been doing music since I was 16 years old and I'm old as hell now. So it's been a while. And, uh, uh, I, I put that together in an afternoon, maybe. Ah, uh, wow. Amazing stuff. And so you have this, uh, soundtrack, uh, again, tell us the name of it and where we can pick it up. Uh, cause you have digital copies and then a few cassette tapes left. Yeah, that's right. Uh, com or my Bandcamp, com, and it's called Hole in the Sky. Nomar, talk about um, about how you came in contact with Mike. Sure. Uh, Mike and I started working together really like on the peripheral 
by me going down to a center uh, that he used to uh, work at. It was the uh, KRI Center for Consciousness Studies, and they'd hold a lot of different types of events there, you know, psychic groups and uh, empathic groups, and they'd have presentations and speakers, and uh, I went down there and presented a few times. We held a town hall meeting uh, one time, and uh, I premiered my documentary down there. So, through all of those types of interactions, Mike and I were becoming more than just acquaintances. We were getting more comfortable with each other. One time when I was down there, he showed me this amazing photo of a light beam that uh, a trail camera captured uh, that was taken at this cabin in New Hampshire that uh, him and some other friends were staying at. And uh, he had some sort of odd encounter while he was there. And it was really cool that it was one of the few pieces of evidence in, in Mike's case. And that picture is included in the book, uh, in the print copy of the book anyways. Uh, and from, from our interactions at the KRI Center, I started learning little bits and pieces of Mike's story. I'd get a little bit more here and there. And sometimes they weren't always from Mike. Sometimes it was from Val or somebody else just uh, relating an experience that might have been similar to something that I had been talking about. So I knew Mike had quite a few different encounters, but I didn't know the scope until we had this conversation probably two, two and a half years now. I, I remember it uh, plain as day. I was sitting in my car, uh, and I was in a Burger King parking lot, and Mike and I had a really long phone call, and he was telling me more and more about his encounters, and I said, this this story needs to be told. And he knew I was you know, a content creator, and I said, well, how would you feel about putting this into book form? Um, I'm always in the throes of working on a project. I'm currently working on one right now. So when I did bring this up, I'm like, well, you know, just so you know, I'm not going to be able to get to it for a little while. I'm kind of, you know, I have this, this, and this that I'm doing. Uh, and, and I don't know how long it'll take to write. After hearing all of his stories, I was like, oh my God, like this is a lot to get into. I don't know how long this is going to take, but he was very cool uh, with just making sure the story was told right. And that's what I always want to do as well. I want to, I want to do it as, as well as possible. So uh, that part of it was easy. But yeah, that, that's kind of like the, uh, the, the origins of it, if you will. Mike, I was taking a look at your website, granitesky.org, and on there you, you have a mission statement. And in that mission statement, you talk about that you've come to the realization that the number of non-physical interactions in these experiences on the rise, of course, that's um, you know subjective and and not provable. But absence of proof does not mean that the experience is not real, and that's a a big a big part in this whole thing. Yeah, um, yeah, I really adopted early on this um, idea of people not proof. I mean, you know, the big one in forty seven Roswell. You know, just for a, a landmark of a you know modern ufology. You know, say since then, the scientific community has been arguing back and forth. Is, are these real? You know, and while they're still arguing back and forth, whether it's real, there's people, you know, like myself who are kind of caught in the middle. Uh, to me, it relates almost if a building was on fire and you're going to argue about how the fire started before getting the people out, you know. So, yeah, we've 
I never want anybody to have to, you know, prove to me or feel like they have to prove to me that they've been through something, you know, a lot of times, you know, it depends on the age of, um, you know, the experiencer and what they had, you know, around them for references. You know, I've talked to people who have had the jolly green giant come into their room at the middle of the night. I've had people, um, you know, have Humpty Dumpty come in and take them away in the middle of the night. And, you know, as they're telling me that, they know that that is not factually true. They know it wasn't Humpty Dumpty. They know it wasn't the Jolly Green Giant. They do know that was their perception of the experience, and they can't tell it any other way. Um, You know, so the minute we scrap the whole, you know, if you can't prove it, don't say it type, atmosphere that so much of ufology has always been at and don't get me wrong there's a there's room for it and a place for it um just not dealing experiencer to experiencers that's not really a big key component to it but yeah the the people not proof thing yeah we really hold on to that just because so much of this is your own personal perception you know you have what you know, again, we can't prove it, but it would seem to be some type of um, forced amnesia from the extraterrestrial side mixed with your own brain's, um, you know, self-defense mechanism to, you know, cover up trauma and you throw in the screen memories and it gets a little weird sometimes, but the it by allowing people to just say, look, this is what I remember happened. Uh, it's been great because a lot of times somebody will come in and be like, this is, you know, my story. This is what happened. It's not in any of the literature, you know, you've never, you kind of shaking your head going, all right. And somebody comes in the next week or shouts out from across the room. Like I had the exact same happen, same thing happened. And, you know, for so long, ufology was mushed into this little box, and it had to look like that if you were, you know, on the level. Now we're starting to see, you know, just the scope of this whole thing of what an experience can be or can entail is, you know, a lot more vast. And, I mean, at the end of the day, I haven't really run it. Everybody I've met seems very genuine. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, if somebody's so desperate to talk to another human being that they're going to make up a story about seeing a UFO, I can give them five minutes of my day. You know, that's pretty much addressing a question from uh, Susan in our chat room on Facebook uh, uh, about entities and the ability to make uh, you see things from your own mind. And Nomar, uh, I know you weighed in that uh, in on that in the chat room already. I see. I did. Yeah, that that goes back to, you know, the screen memories like something is happening where your memories are getting skewed in some way or another. And uh, and I think Susan described it perfectly like they are making you see things from your own mind. You know, it's it's fascinating and odd and and uh, terrifying that you can be manipulated that way. All right. Area code 207. You're on the air. Who's this? Hey, my name is Cindy. I'm calling from Maine. Hi, Cindy in Maine. How are you? Good, good, good. How's everyone over there? Surviving. You're doing all right. Doing as That's best great. as we can. 
Awesome. Um, hey, listen, um, Nomar, I read your first book, Otherworldly Encounters. I really like that one. And I finished cool. reading the book um, with Mike, about Mike, and I really like that one, too. And I want to um, thank you guys for doing such a great job. And I want to thank Mike, especially for sharing his story and a lot of sensitive information that took a lot of guts. And um, I was at the meeting last Saturday, and I had a question um, for Mike. And you, you said you you saw in um, a light in the sky last Saturday. And I was just curious, did that happen before the meeting or after the meeting or during the meeting? <laughs> I don't know. First off, hi, Cindy. Um, yeah, that happened after the meeting. I ended up uh, shooting down to Haverhill to go help somebody else out with an event they were doing. So, yeah, that happened Saturday night, like hours after our meeting. Yeah. Oh, uh, just just curious. I'm wondering if that we all attracted them by being there or something. But, um, yeah, I guess that was just my question. And um, I don't know. Um, I want to thank you for being on the show tonight. It's been a really good show so far. Thank you for calling, Cindy. Appreciate it. All right. You guys have a good night. All right. You too as well. You you nice. too, fellow Mainer. Thank you. And it's, yeah, and I um I got your book right here actually. Nice, I've got two. Man. I've got two copies of them actually. Two copies. Nice. One. Let's we'll see is, if you can sell sell one, man. What <laughs> one is the uncorrected proof? Do you know how much that one um, would be worth? <laughs> probably not much. But yeah. And then we have the other one, which is much fancier. I like this other one because. You know, this uncorrected proof, uh, which I get from the publisher sometimes, the covers aren't as fancy as as the actual book. So this one, yeah. uh, this is the Otherworldly UF, or otherworldly Encounters. And I read this. I, I flew through this book, as Cindy probably did as well. So I've got two of these on the bookshelf here, and uh, a highly <laughs> recommended. So I can only imagine that Granite Skies is much in the same as Otherworldly Encounters, a excellent read. Uh, I appreciate that, man. And uh, just a, a little bit of a correction and then something else. Uh, my first book is actually UFOs over Maine. Otherworldly Encounters is my uh, second book. And uh, I really appreciate you saying those things, like with Otherworldly Encounters and with UFOs over Maine and now with Granite Skies. I don't mean to, but I tend to insert my thought processes uh into these stories that i tell it's just inherent it's it's just i don't know it's like i have this kinship with the odd because i've experienced odd things you know my entire life and i feel like an outcast a lot of times so i just really relate um to these people and to these stories and uh, uh i actually had something happened to me this year um uh, it was in uh february of uh of this year so it was before you know the anxiety of covid and all that stuff and it was still winter here in maine you know uh, snow on the ground all that fun stuff and i was driving home one night it was fairly early in the evening about six forty-five, and i saw a creature on the side of the road I, I don't really see creatures. I see a lot of lights in the sky. I've seen ghosts. But I saw a creature. And it kind of looked like a stick man or something. And it was all black. It was like five feet tall. I was probably 100 yards away from it. And my headlights hit it. And it was really shiny, almost like it was covered in tar or like an exoskeleton, you know, like a beetle or something. And uh, it just stepped into the woods. I saw it for maybe all of, you know, two, three, four seconds. 
But I stopped my vehicle on the road where I thought it had walked into. And I was hoping that uh, it would be obvious that it was a person or I'd hear some walking or something, or maybe some deer would run out and I just, you know, saw it weird. I didn't see or hear anything else, but I smelled a very foul odor, like rotting eggs, which reminded me of like a Bigfoot encounter. But this thing didn't look like a Bigfoot, uh, quite the opposite. You know, it was shorter than reported Bigfoot calls uh sightings and uh was skinny and like a you know like a a, this weird looking stick figures really weird and it's just to add to that lore of new england and and just what an incredible place this is for odd encounters and then on the other side of that being a researcher and having an experience is it's kind of a weird thing like you don't want to call attention to it because people might think you're you're making it up just so you have another story to tell i don't know it's it's a weird place like i'm sure like whitley streber has <laughs> had a weird thing with that maybe not i don't know but um it's just weird to to be able to be on both sides of it and i did have some emotional <sighs> I guess, like Mike said earlier, flexing with that encounter, there was the shock and awe of it. There was the processing of it. And then I needed to put on my research hat, too. And I found out that there was a UFO encounter on that road back in 1995. And uh, two years before that, my father on that same road saw a ghost and my dad (laughs) is the biggest skeptic in the world and for him to admit to me that he saw a ghost was a pretty big deal in my world and and all of that was on the same road like what (laughs) that doesn't make sense but it's awesome yeah i mean well it plays along with uh, the fact that there could be you know hot spots and uh, certain areas that uh, are more prone to this activity than others certainly a lot of those cases in your books no more yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I really think every place is a hotbed. I'm just saying that it's happening all over the place. It's whether you're paying attention or not. It's whether you're looking up or not. It's whether you're dismissing the bump in the night or not. That's also not to say that every bump in the night is a ghost or or something paranormal or every light in the sky is, is uh, you know, an extraterrestrial. I'm not saying that either. But to pay attention does take effort and uh, i don't think uh, the majority of people are not putting that effort in gentlemen uh take a few moments and uh share some final words with the audience if you wouldn't mind mike why don't you take uh take it first here um yeah i mean the biggest thing i guess i would say to anybody whether you've read the book or not is um you know whether you've had experiences or not just we we got to be kinder to each other as you know people Agreed. you don't have to believe somebody Agreed. but you gotta um you know be kinder let's we need to normalize conversation about not only you know the experiences um you know suicide mental health we need to normalize these conversations because the mix of these two in the experiencer community um, is not good. It's often dealt with by self-medicating, um, you know, which drugs, alcohol, this and that, which, you know, we, we need to be able to get people real help. So hopefully, you know, if, if you're hearing this and you're like, 
I need somebody to talk to. Reach out to me. Reach out to Nomar. Uh, I don't care who you talk to. Find another group. Talk to somebody. To like, there's no need to hold this in anymore. And just to piggyback on what Mike said, now more than ever, uh, especially in this country, but obviously around the entire world, uh, kindness, patience, and understanding of what somebody else is going through is needed now more than ever. And, uh, you know, if this book helps you with that or so you can see how we how we do it, you know, uh, as an example, uh, you know, please, please just remember kindness. I, I would agree. That's a message we all need. So I want to thank you both for coming on the program tonight and Mike for your courage for going through what you have and now turning that around to to help others and no more for your persistence and your dedication to this field and just to you know getting these stories out there. So thank you so much to both of you again. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for having yeah. us on. Thank absolutely. you. Absolutely. Uh Nomar Slavic and uh, Mike Stevens and just an amazing show again tonight. I want to thank both of them again for coming on the program because there's a value in knowing that there are other people out there who have had experiences, maybe experiences similar to what you have had. And knowing that somebody else has been through it and that you're not alone and that they might be able to help you and make your life a little easier or make you understand the situation is very valuable, like I said, and especially in, in today's time. So I, I value what those two gentlemen uh, were uh, sharing with us on the program tonight, and I highly encourage you to check out their, their websites, and, and if you are in need of their services, to reach out and, and, and pick up the book. It's, I mean, the Otherworldly Encounters is just absolutely amazing. So I can't get my copy on Granite Skies because of the whole COVID situation and the shipping. So the books arriving here in the studio have significantly slowed during COVID time, so I've had to go out and order some. Poor, poor, pitiful me, right? Uh, Thank you all. Good night. Love you all. Good night. For supporting our advertisers. It keeps the show free for everyone. This statement has not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. No offense, but are you a little fat when you look in the mirror? How do you like to learn the secret to losing three to five pounds a week without joining the gym or going through any crazy diets? It's called Body Sculpt RX. For the last two decades, we've helped countless people lose thousands of pounds. And now, It's your turn. Learn how to lose weight with one simple phone call and no prescription needed. You'll see an amazing difference in a matter of days. Don't believe us? We'll offer you a risk-free money-back guarantee. So if you're ready to start losing weight, call right now and get a free month supply with your first order of Body Sculpt RX. Call now. You have nothing to lose but the pounds. 800-395-4207. 800-395-4207. Eight hundred three nine five forty two zero seven. That's eight hundred three nine five forty two zero seven. 
You've heard me talking about my Patriot supply for a while, and things aren't getting any easier. From global conflicts and unstable supply chains, when shelves run on empty, you don't have to panic. Choose peace of mind with their three-month emergency food supply to keep your shelves and your stomach full. In an emergency, you won't have the time, resources, and ingredients to prepare your meals in the way you're used to. But you can get a leg up with My Patriot Supply. It's a three-month emergency food supply. You don't have to skimp. It's ready when you are. It's disaster-proof. And no food boredom here. 20-plus flavorful food and drink varieties. My Patriot Supply is offering a special deal for Into the Parabnormal listeners when you go to parabnormalradio.com slash food. Get your My Patriot Supply today from parabnormalradio.com slash food. That's parabnormalradio.com slash food. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.